live. All right, we're live. This is Lucas Pino. Nobody's here yet. That's okay. Hi. Hey. Hey, everybody. We uh, got some questions from yesterday while we were driving, and then we got tired, so we went to bed. <laughs> and we didn't do it. We're in Palm Springs, as you can see, by these beautiful palm trees. That's just a picture. It's just a picture. The outside kind of looks like that, too, though. Look at that. And my mom calls. Classic. My mom just called. Pause the video. Um, but anyway, hello. Welcome to the stream. We're going to uh, answer some questions from yesterday. Feel free to drop some in down here for Lucas or me or neither of us, really. But uh, we're going to go through the ones that came in. Go in I guess we'll go in order. Oh, sweet. And we'll see what, uh, how far we get. We are playing tonight in Palm Springs, Jazzville, Cast of Characters Tour. Then we're headed to Denver tomorrow, 7 p.m., one set at Dazzle. Oh, baby. And uh, where are we going from there? Oh, yeah, Reno. <laughs> we're going to Reno on Friday and Saturday, playing a house concert. So um, Jazzboy2020 is here, prolific uh, contributor of questions. Awesome. Ooh, Avery's going to come to the side door. <coughs> That's at the end of the month. We're doing uh, Birdland and side door. But uh, let's get Lucas involved here. Instead of me just talking away. Feel free to drop in some uh, questions if you have any. But uh, this is from Garnet Mueller. Muller, sorry. Uh, how do you work on your swing and time feel, and how do you practice that? I'm going to answer. I want you to answer. Um, <clears throat> I saw a video that Joe Lovano <clears throat> had a master class at Berkeley. I think it might be on the internet still, but where he talks about like um, playing but feeling like different parts of the beat. So he's, he said like eighth, he would play eighth notes and maybe like tap or feel the quarter note, you know? Mm -hmm. and, he, and then uh, that produces a certain type of uh, feeling. And then he, he talked about playing at the half note level and then from the half note level even going down to the whole note level. So you're only, ta so you're tapping half notes and trying to play and then tapping whole notes and then trying to play and then tapping once every two measures and trying to play and um, his point I think in that master class was that it's going to change like the way that you uh, play and like phrase but I also noticed that like if I'm going to try to play with a metronome <clears throat> once every two measures or once every four measures uh, it's really going to expose how solid my time is mm -hmm. and um so when I started practicing that, I realized, like, oh, my time is bad. And uh, <laughs> so, so I started to try to work it out, you know, uh, from, from those perspectives. And, um, so that gets it consistent. So how, do you, but how, do you, um, how did you work on, like, the feel of the eighth notes? Yeah. I, the other, another thing that I ended up doing is with a, fr a, a good friend of mine when we were both at the new school, um, a drummer named Dustin Kaufman, and I used to get together in the practice room. And uh, we would one of us would wear headphones and have the metronome on, and the other one, we would have to play to each other's time. Mm. Like I would have the metronome on, and he would play to my time, and then he would have the metronome on, and I'd play to his time. And we would say like, okay, well, now I'm going to try to play like ahead of the beat, or now I'm going to try to play behind the beat, and um, that really helped. I think that the stronger I feel about my time, the more I have a sense of whether or not I'm playing ahead or, or behind or whether I'm pushing or, or uh, laying back, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I don't know. How about you? 
Uh, I always talk about playing along with records to get the feel together, and playing along with solos, mm -hmm. trying to match the match the eighth notes and the articulations like exactly. Yeah. So like, record yourself with headphones on, so that you can hear just you. You know, mm -hmm. when you listen to the recording back, not like playing with loudspeakers or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then listening back, and then just focusing on on the eighth notes, like how they feel, I guess. Totally. By matching, and then just absorbing that over time by doing, you know, not one solo, but 20. Right, <laughs> you know? right. It can't be overstated how important, <clears throat> like, transcription is, but also that you're not a very, like, no person, no individual is a good judge of themselves, especially in the moment while they're playing. And so it's um, incredibly important to record and listen back and, um, and try to find some type of objective way of measuring how uh, accurate uh, your you know performance especially a performance of a of a transcription is yeah yeah so uh, those are, those are good steps and i try to get my students to go really deep on one person at a time rather than doing like i don't know jj johnson and then pat Matheny and then john coltrane and i mean all of that is good stuff but it's like it doesn't it doesn't help you get super deep into the feeling of that person mm -hmm. but there's many ways you can, uh, many ways you can approach it. That, that's that. A bunch of questions live coming in here. Uh, Jazz boy, that's okay. Sorry you didn't come to the Blue Whale. Tickets are sold out for the house concert on Saturday, unfortunately. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, we'll catch you next time, I think. And let's see. Thoughts on ear training, especially in hearing chords and their qualities. Yeah. Um, for me, it was playing the piano that really helped with that. Absolutely. Thoughts. I agree. Like you play the piano and then play those voicings on your instrument. Like play the literal voicings. And um, I remember Jerry Berganzi saying something like, "To be able to hear something, you have to play it first. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of like a two-way street. But I, I totally agree that like if you can't hear something, that means that you need to like repetitiously practice it and live with it until it becomes something that is like a banality to you you know i think that a lot of times you know you're going to cross a threshold from where something sounds mysterious or awesome to you when you practice it enough it becomes normal and you're going to lose like this mysterious un unreachable quality of the thing that you're practicing and it's going to pass into what is normal or achieved for you and in, in a way like the better you get at music the more ordinary certain aspects of music are going to be become and that can be disheartening from a listener's standpoint. <laughs> but I think it's absolutely necessary. So what, I mean, one thing that I uh, practiced a lot was just playing, like, A, B voicings. Like, like, uh, like if from the bottom up, I would play, like, uh, minor. Nine, three, five, seven, nine. And maybe descending to, like, da-da-do-do-dee. And then uh, take the seven of that minor, right, the, and then move it down a half step, and, it, and it, the shape becomes the, the dominant five. Da, 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 da. And uh, when I started practicing these types of piano shapes, it really opened up my ears to be able to hear um, those harmonies. And, and then especially <clears throat> when you start, uh, you know, changing the notes that are the alterations, the flat nines, sharp nines, sharp elevens, uh, uh, of the five chord quality. Yeah, it, it'll really open up your ears. So you got to play it, play it to hear it. Yeah, there's also um, using drone. I like to use drones to 
tune intervals because you're mm -hmm. if we're talking going all the way back to even like pre you know pre hearing chords or whatever you got to be able to hear intervals and mm -hmm. uh, you can do that there's a million apps on the internet to just ear train intervals and triads and stuff like that but just I agree with Lucas you have to play it it's the only way uh, here's another live question would you consider yourself a jazz musician if you at least learn some transcriptions from others, then write your own jazz composition. Um, I guess so. I don't, know. I don't know. I guess I consider you a jazz musician if you decide that you're a jazz musician and you're serious about the music and you want to learn it. Yeah, I, don't know. I agree with that sentiment. That you know, uh, it's not like you're gonna you're gonna like be anointed at some point. Like you right. you make it. Like I. I feel like uh, and jazz musician is such a narrow term in and of itself but I think that like essentially chasing uh, the better version uh, that you can see of yourself down the road is, is what um, allows me to, to say that I am something if I'm chasing it um, then I feel like I'm, I'm something and so if you've done some transcriptions and you write don't let it be a place of rest or stopping. Just continue to do those things. Continue yeah. writing and continue transcribing. Continue studying this music, and uh, it's an active thing. It's not an arrival thing. Yes, there's no arrival. So I don't know. I guess you just have to decide for yourself if you're serious about it. You want to be a jazz musician, and you're learning the music. Then that's it. That's how you do it. Here's another question from Garnet. Thanks for the other question. He says, as a single note single line player when learning tunes on piano is the root in the left hand and third and seventh in the right sorry there's a very loud truck uh, it's live <laughs> so root in the left hand third and seventh in the right hand suffice to voicings yeah that's the first step yeah, so um, yes start there that's what I say on my to my students um, any recommendations for playing lead trombone on Ellington tunes. Uh, I think I can feel this one. <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> what do you think? What are you going to say? Honest to God, I have no good answer for that. I'm a saxophonist. <laughs> I, the, the, the truth is always, like, play with the recordings, listen to the recordings relentlessly. Mm -hmm. I'm always reminded of uh, Chick Corea on one of his... Um, <clears throat> he had a DVD box set, those red ones, I can't remember. Rendezvous in New York. There was one thing where he talked about um, playing his transcriptions along with Bud Powell, and he put the speakers on each end of the piano and faced mm -hmm. them inwards, and he would play along until he couldn't hear himself. That he was so perfect with Bud Powell that he was, you know, he would disappear into the sound of the. So I mean, anyway, he's talking about the Trump Duke Ellington. I mean, I think it's probably the same thing. Just like yeah, you got to listen to the recordings. You got to know who those people are. I mean, I love modern interpretations of that music, but if you want to know about what it sounded like originally, I, you got to go back to the original recordings. And it's a, there's multiple versions of the tunes, but the, the main thing to take away is the vibrato, the style, and the articulation. Um, like what Lawrence Brown is playing for most of the time, playing the lead chair after 19... Uh, I can't remember the year. Late late 40s and thereafter it was mostly Lawrence Brown playing those lead parts so he had a very particular way of playing like everyone does um, and inflecting and or, or not inflecting 
it wasn't Ellington's music wasn't overly inflected in my opinion in the trombone uh, lead chair he wasn't adding like a bajillion scoops and falls and all that kind of stuff but it definitely has vibrato and flavor um, and like if Juan Tizol was playing the lead it's going to sound totally different and the vibrato is totally different um, but without going into a whole diatribe about this go to the recordings uh, and then, and then when you go and you listen to the Lincoln Center Band, for example, playing it, you can tell like, oh, he's doing this part of it that's from the original recording, and then the rest of it is is their opinion, and they're putting their thing on it. Yeah. I think it happens with the saxophone section. Too, well, absolutely, sure. absolutely. I mean, and, and that, I, I, you know, you got to just just make sure that uh, the reason why you're pursuing it is. Uh, or, I don't know, not make sure that's the right, wrong way to say it, but I think that, you know, if, you, if, if you're pursuing these things to be recognized by others, I don't think that that's very good fuel. I think, you know, if you're pursuing uh, the mastery of the music because you're obsessed with the music and um, you're trying to do it some type of honor and you want it to be more personal and closer in your life, that's better fuel. You know, what, why do you want to be... Why, why, why? You want to win a competition, or you want to be recognized, or you know, it's a pretty. That's a pretty. It's going to end up being a pretty shallow um, goal, and it might not yield the best results. But if you fall in love with that music, and it becomes like a daily practice that you're checking it out, you'll you'll just probably much more quickly and much more honestly become um, tied to that sound, and and uh, and it'll it'll probably yield, you know, rewards that you never thought it would. Yeah. All right, we're going to go to these some of these questions here. Oh, that was a that was that this is a question that was going to be asked in just a second. Um, but we'll get to some of these right here. What when are you going to shave from Jack? Uh, I think he was talking to me from yesterday. I just shaved half an hour ago. So we're good. And this was a question that came in on the live stream and also was a previous question was uh, <laughs> how long have you and Nick been friends for? How long have we been friends for? We met in 2010? Yeah, I moved to New York in 2010, and we met almost immediately when I moved to town. We, we met in 2010. We've been friends for about six or seven months. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we were that good of friends when we, when I fir when we first moved to town. Because we didn't see each other a lot. Yeah. When did we start playing? Um, what well, were the circumstances of us starting to play? I started, I guess, because I started putting together my band, I guess, and I had you asked you to play, I think, and then so that was the beginning. That's what it would have been like, 2011 or something. And then I, when did you come and start to read for me? Yeah, and I started time. playing in the non-net. I don't know you after because it was. Someone else Corey from King. school, Corey King, and then you were trying out different people after that. So I don't yeah. know when. It was after school for sure. So it was after, after 2012, I think. Damn, crazy. I, think. I don't know. So, something around there. Oh, <clears throat> long time. Uh, ten years. That's ten years. Easy, that's, that's the easy. That's the easy. Non this answer. is another good question. Before we get back to a serious <clears throat> question, uh, how did Lucas Pino's scarf game get so strong? Uh. <laughs> Mickey Yamanaka, yeah. she made me a scarf, a really awesome infinity scarf for Christmas. She surprised me outside of Smalls with it. It was, it's definitely one of my favorite gifts I've ever received. So, yeah, Mickey helped. Mickey helped. Yeah. 
She's a prolific. She just posted on her Instagram. About this, about her knitting. Yeah, about the <laughs> Mickey, knitting. Mickey, 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 yummy. Yeah, Mickey, Mickey, yummy. Yeah. Check her out. She's a great pianist. Amazing pianist. And also a great uh, knitter and friend. Uh, oh, good. I've definitely worked a lot on vibrato and stealing his tone. That you're on the right track with that Ellington stuff. Um, all right, let's see here. Monique Jazz says, okay, what would you play over A7 sus and B flat major 7 sharp 11? Seems like they share a lot of the same notes. I'm just trying to get some better ideas. A7 sus. A7 sus and B flat major 7 sharp 11. Well, it's two different modes. It's two different, but they share a lot of the same notes. Uh, but A7 doesn't have a B flat. What would you play? Oh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like contextual to the, what comes before. Yeah, it's absolutely contextual, but the chord scale theory would say that over sus you play mixolydian, right. and over uh, over uh, uh, lydian. Yeah, li- over a lydian you play lydian. Yeah, no, but that's the truth. That's the answer. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's very contextual. I tried it, but chord scale theory only gets you so far. Because sometimes it, if something's in the air, like a note's in the air from the measure before mm-hmm. or from the chorus before, you might want another note in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, learn the chord scale theory first and then kind of just forget about it. got to remember, like, if you took chord scale theory and you put it on a spaceship and you shot it into <laughs> space and aliens found chord scale theory and they came back down to Earth, you could almost be assured that they would not be playing, you know, the type of music that we play. <laughs> you know, it would be some other thing. Right. And, and even though we try to uh, quantify uh, all of these um, things, you know, generally the, the music is indescribable, and uh, you have to use your ears. You know, you've got you, you to learn the music through your ears and, it, and it's not very easy to measure how good you've gotten through your ears you can't you know so it can be very dif- difficult or intimidating as a student uh, but I don't know just have faith in the process and using your ears to learn <clears throat> chord scale theory and all the stuff that you write down and, and quantify or you know nomenclature and stuff like that is supposed to act more I think as um that's like, you know, like when you get to the back of the book, what's that reference section like in the back of the book? Like the Oh, it's an appendix. Yeah, like an appendix. It should act as an appendix, but learning the music still is about your ears and right. your heart and uh, all that other stuff is more of like a, you know, an appendix. Yeah. It's just a list of suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monique says it's from 12th and Edge Hill by Jeff Coffin. I don't know that oh, piece. Uh, Jeff's, Jeff's cool, dude. Jeff writes great music, though. So, uh, but the two, the answer is just Mixolydian and Lydian as a starting point mm-hmm. uh, for those two scales. And you were correct that they share a lot of notes. Uh, okay, let's keep moving here. Thanks for being here, everybody. Glad that uh, <laughs> so we can fun. talk to you. We, I've never done it with a friend before. It's so much better with a friend. Let's see, this is a question, but if I press this button, what's going to happen? Oh, here we go. Any recommendations for playing? Oh, we already answered that question. Okay, oh. great. Uh, Lucas. Oh, me. These questions right for Lucas from Oh That Lexi. Uh, <laughs> what does a day, week in the life of a New York City gigging musician look like? And how did you know New York was for you? What considerations did you make? Wow, cool, cool questions. I, I always let my passion 
uh, dictate the next move in my life. I, uh, when I was a young musician, 10 or 11 years old, I didn't have any aspirations of leaving Arizona. I thought that perhaps that those, um, I could become, you know, I could get a, get a scholarship to a community college, maybe if I'm lucky and continue to play music in some capacity, maybe be, at one point I said, oh, I could become a band director if I really try hard. And I was practicing very hard. And every time I practiced really hard for an extended period of time, somebody, somebody would come along and kind of put it in my head like, well, you know, you're this good. You should probably go to this summer camp or you're this good and you should, um, you know, try out for this band or do this thing. And so my goals were informed by others a lot of times kind of tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, you know, you might be really happy if you do this or that or the other thing. And uh, New York was kind of the same, the same thing. You know, I, I ended up meeting uh, young musicians at uh, Brubeck Summer Jazz Colony, and they had it in their head like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to move to New York at some point. And I said, oh, well, maybe I need to do that, and started to consider it. So I've, I've really, I haven't really set real far goals down the, down the line. I really, my, my goal is to have a daily practice. I, that's my goal. If I can just like get on the instrument every day, really try to honor the music uh, that has given me so much and uh, practice it, then, you know, that's what, um, that's the consideration that I make. And, and so, and then that kind of answers the other question too, right? Like a day in my life, I try to make playing a priority every day. And um, I, I try to, in spite of the fact that when you, when you become a professional musician, there are other things that really are tugging at your coat, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, how to book gigs and how to talk to people and where to hang out and la, 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 on and on and on. Just to make it a priority that I'm still practicing and I'm still trying to figure out like well what is the aspects about playing music that I, I just still don't get and trying to get a clear um, mirror about what I can and can't do that's my my daily goal and uh, and so then and then and then on the on the week to week or the month to month I just I spend a lot of time on the road and I try to take care of myself I try to have a good time and um, you know yeah that's a that's about it. Sorry, that's a long, long answer. No, that's the that's the answer. Yeah, I guess making that practice and then your obligations, I suppose, playing gigs and stuff. Professor Finzer. Oh no! How did you decide <laughs> to become an educator, in addition to a gigging musician? Also from uh, Oh That Lexi. Uh, I never um, was not doing both at the same time. That's the honest answer. Mm. I've always been teaching. Since I was in high school, I had students that were in elementary school. And then when I was in college, I had high school students. And then when I was a professional, now I have college students. Um, it's always just been part of it. I think partially as a trombone player, I have kind of a complex about <laughs> playing trombone and not having the same level of representation in jazz groups or gig opportunities or whatever. And so I've always been... Uh, keeping my eyes open to the full scope of possibilities and um, so that's what I always did and kind of one opportunity has always led to another kind of performance opportunities have led to teaching and teaching has led to performance and school has you know school led to a lot of professional opportunities and there's just kind of a I mean I guess in a kind of in a way it's almost separate worlds in a way there's a lot of 
a lot of jazz musicians don't teach, but a lot of them do too. You know, it's so it's kind of connected and kind of disconnected. I don't know. And a lot do that shouldn't be. Yeah, there's sorry. <laughs> there are uh, questionable, qu- some questionable people that do teach. Yeah, that maybe shouldn't. But <laughs> uh, so the answer, the quick answer is. Uh, I've always done it. That's why. So I, I don't know. I've never been able to divorce the learning and the te- from the teaching and playing. It all comes together. There's a great Leonard Bernstein video where he talks about, like, uh, I think he says in German, the word to learn, to learn, is like the same as to teach. To teach and mm. to learn is almost like the same exact word, which I think I didn't know that. that really provides insight into. If you want to be a student of something, that means that you're probably going to end up also teaching it. Yeah, and it really helps you. It helps you to teach to, mm-hmm. to understand what you want, what you're trying to talk about, trying to explain something seven different ways till it finally makes sense. Totally, because everybody understands something a little bit different. There's a couple questions. Let me scroll back here. From Monique, I got a large scholarship from University of Hartford in Connecticut from Javon Jackson. Congratulations, that's very cool. Do you guys know much about Hartford? I don't know much about the music program or college. Well, it was started by Jackie McLean. Mm-hmm. It's in Hartford, which is pretty close to New York. Uh, the, a lot of the faculty there play in New York all the time. There's a lot of great alumni from that school also. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a good place to be if you're into playing jazz. It seems like most of them focus on playing jazz there. Yeah. And in my mind, what I mean when I say that is focus on like the history of jazz music, like bebop and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Tunes, bebop stuff. Rather than maybe more contemporary place. Uh, Jazz Boy, I couldn't stop listening to your track, cast of, char- cast of characters called Perspective. Oh, well, I'm glad you liked it. It's an F-sharp minor, so start practicing. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. That's a tough one. <laughs> All right, we're doing, we're doing great. Well, how are we doing here? Uh, question for Lucas. We always answer that. Answer this. Thank what do you think about when you're soloing? This is from reachero.f. I'm uh, when I'm soloing, I'm trying to tell myself, listen, 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 listen. Yeah. So that means to translate, that means you have to not be thinking about chords or scales or any of this things. So it has to be ingrained, more or less, you know, and that comes back to that your training question from before it's no fun to talk to somebody who has an agenda right i mean who doesn't ask you any questions or you know isn't in the moment and i think that to be an improviser is we're really trying to be committed to being in the moment to be present and um it's it can be a scary thing because as as you know from just trying to have a conversation sometimes you're dumbfounded you know sometimes you you don't have anything on your mind sometimes you know there's a void and I think to improvise means like I will stare willingly willingly into the void and have a hope that something will be an answer or produced out of that but you know try not to come in with an agenda try to tell yourself to listen yeah I, I always tell students to think about the question, um, what does the music need right now? Which is the same as listen. In my, I mean, in my estimation. 
Yeah. We mean the same thing. Just like sometimes you have to play not what you felt like you wanted to play before you picked up the horn because the music could change in that two seconds between when you picked up your horn. It could be going like this or like this or somebody could play something that makes it need to end, you know? Like yeah. you think you're going to play a solo but it's like, oh, no, we're going to go back. We're going to end this song. It's been too long. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. So that's what I say to my students. What does the music need right now? And try to just serve the music whatever it wants to do because it always wants to do something usually unless it's just never doing anything <laughs> all these messages sorry I love it Lucas is getting a, a, a snapshot of what happens in my life all day long intensity intensity yeah. uh, so if you have any other questions if you're here live now feel free to drop them in uh, I see some other things I'm scrolling back to here yes you should start learning by teaching for sure. For sure. hundred percent. There's that famous quote, like, I think it's attributed to Albert Einstein, which is like, if you, if you cannot state something simply, then you do not understand mm. uh, thoroughly something like, that. something like this. Like, if you do not understand something well enough, then you cannot uh, state it simply. It's been a real fun, fun little um, journey to try and figure out how to use English language to try to communicate um, musical ideas. It's been very difficult but very rewarding. Here's a question. I feel like the whole world should need more new jazz artists for this year and next year as well. I think there are a lot. I think you just need to do some digging. Who are some... We were talking about this the other day. Who are some people that are I guess younger than us we're kind of in the middle now, sort of. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that are bringing attention or deserve attention yeah I love uh, Joel Ross and Emmanuel Wilkins and Jeremy Dutton and like there's a whole crew there uh, um, I love uh, Matisse Picard and Ruben um, Fox and uh, all them cats I just love them to death uh, Anthony Hervey and uh, Joe Block and uh, lots of really great young cats man um uh, Gifton is ridiculous. Mm. Um, gosh, there's too many to list. Right. They're all over. Um, I don't know how many of them are producing recordings um, or you know so solo or leader recordings. I right. hope that they come out more, but you know it, that costs money. And when you're that when you're just fresh out of college or whatever, you know I think it's it can be difficult to produce recordings. And I, I hope it's, it's expensive. So <laughs> I hope that they that cats are, are doing that more and more but I'm sure they will yeah Riley Mlaherker I love Riley Mlaherker mm. yeah their group, that group the Westerlies the Westerlies yeah. dope Sammy Miller's group is dope mm. um, I know there's so many people. we could just list people that this the rest of the the rest of the uh, Q&A is just going to be us just listing, listing names. jazz musicians it's Hervey with a, with a V not Hervey oh yeah Anthony Hervey 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 uh, you'll be able to find find it don't worry, you'll be able to rewind once I post it to the story and once it's on YouTube. You Herbie's a fine. trumpeter. Yeah. Anthony Herbie is a trumpeter. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. Um, so there's lots of um, jazz musicians making records all the time. If you go on Spotify, for example, you know there's the State of Jazz playlist. There's a playlist that Outside of Music does, that's, which is my company that's new. Every week we put new, new jazz releases for the week, so there's a lot. There's, you know 
hundreds of recordings a month coming out. So there's lots and lots and lots of jazz happening in the world. You just have to go and find it. It's not super easy to, it's not just going to come to you necessarily. Uh, jazz musicians aren't always good at uh, promotion, promoting their stuff. <laughs> but um, awesome. Lucas, this has been great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, you can, f you can uh, find Lucas at, what's your Instagram? At Lucas, Lucas Roberto Pino. So you can find Lucas there. We'll be playing in Palm Springs tonight. Send us some friends. We'll be in Denver tomorrow. Denver. What's the date? 12. 13 Reno. 14 Reno. End of the month we'll be in New York at Birdland on the 26th. Nashville on the 27th. Unfortunately, he has to accompany me to all these places. I'll uh, be there! <laughs> 28th is the last date, and that's at the side door in Connecticut. Another great room. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.